Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Uh, Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I did a little uh, figuring this week. Um, I've been kind of thinking about my ministry. I've been about 30 years. I've been a preacher. I think that I've likely preached at least a thousand sermons so far. It has to be at least, maybe more than that. Uh, And early in my ministry, I made the decision that I wouldn't repeat sermons. Uh, In fact, in the old days, I threw them away. I literally just tossed them away until just recently started saving them. I don't even know why now. Um, now, obviously, I've preached on some of the same scriptures. I've told some of the same stories, some of the same illustrations. You've probably heard me repeat them already in four years. I only know so many. Uh, but I've made it a rule that every week I start with a blank computer screen or a blank page. I think preaching deserves that. I think you deserve something fresh. I think God deserves that I not just bring something off the shelf and dust it off, that it be fresh every week. Um, and it's good for me that every week I stretch myself a little bit every time. Now, there has been one exception to that rule. Um, during my 11 years as a campus minister at FSU, I preached an annual sex sermon. Uh, in that context, uh, a college culture where there's lots of partying going on and students are dating and thinking about getting married, um, and it just there's just pressures around uh, sex, it just seemed like a really important message to preach. So it was the one message I repeated every year. Now, it was not exactly the same message. It matured. It evolved over the years. It got longer. By the end, it was about 45 minutes long. I'm not preaching 45 minutes today. I'm not preaching today. Um, But that was one thing I just thought was important enough that I repeated. Now, my last one was in 2014. I have not preached on sex since 2014. And you obviously are a very different audience than college students, and this is a very different context. So again, this week, I started with a blank page. So today, we're talking about not just sex, but we're talking about the deadly sin of lust and the virtue of chastity, which obviously is related to sex. Today, I'm going to be using terms sex and sexuality more or less as the same, and I'll let me define my terms. When I'm talking about sex and sexuality today, I'm not talking about just the limited physical acts that we normally associate with the word sex. I'm thinking much more broadly. 
Sexuality includes our gender. It includes who we're attracted to and who's attracted to us. It includes all of the ways that we show affection to other people, the different kinds of relationships we have, the commitments that go with certain kind of relationships. It includes our spirituality. It includes our body image. It includes our ideas about beauty. And it includes some very specific physical acts. I'm going to keep this PG, by the way, if anybody's getting nervous. According to that definition of sexuality, that includes everybody, from children to seniors, from birth to death, male, female, gay, straight, married, single, that includes everybody. Now, would you think that I'm going overboard or that I'm off base if I say that the American culture seems to have an uncomfortable obsession with sex and sexuality? Is that overstating it? I don't think so. Sex is everywhere. Sexuality seems to pervade everything. Turn on the TV. Watch movies. Watch TikTok videos. Look at social media. Look at commercials, both commercials on television and billboards, sometimes in big display, sometimes on the side of buses, sometimes in magazines. I mean, sex sells. We know this, right? It's Everywhere, old-fashioned romance novels, fashion, what now is appropriate that wasn't that long ago, Uh, the songs that dominate the Billboard 100 all have to do, it seems, with sex and sexuality. It seems that we in our American culture have uh, an incredibly high level of comfort with sex and sexuality. And yet, even as our culture seems to become more and more comfortable with casual sex, even now we know, both from personal experience and people we know and watching TV and movies, there's still a very high-level discomfort with cheating and adultery, which seems to imply that even now we still seem to believe in commitment and monogamy and the exclusivity of sex. Even now, with uh, our comfort, it seems, societally with sex, there are certain taboos. We know that there's a darker side to sex. There still seems to be sort of a puritanical view that pervades all of our American ethos. When's it okay to have sex? Who is it okay to have sex with? The recent Me Too movement reveals that there's too many who have used their power to turn sex into something that's abusive and harmful to others. Many of our current politicians seem obsessed with sex, limiting contraception, limiting abortion, limiting LGBTQ rights, even banning what's available now to be read in school libraries. And so we live in this awkward, uncomfortable tension between obsession, it would seem on one side, and embarrassment and discomfort on the other. I think this gets exemplified particularly in the the modern proliferation of online pornography. I just want to talk about that for just a minute. What used to only be available in magazines that were wrapped in plastic and behind the counter at 7-Eleven, right? Or that you had to drive over to South OBT to get. Now you can get on the phone that's in your pocket or in your purse. 
Did you know that one in five cell phone internet queries now are pornographic in nature? That every minute of every day there are a million people watching pornography, including this minute right now. In surveys, half of Americans have watched pornography, and at least a quarter have watched it in the last month. And there's some additional downsides to pornography that I'll mention. In a recent study, uh, men who had watched pornography in the last 24 hours professed, said, admitted a higher level of loneliness, dissatisfaction with their personal appearance, personal feelings of insecurity, and less satisfaction with their actual sex lives. Another recent study was done with teens, 13 to 17, brace yourself, 13 to 17-year-olds surveyed, 75 reported that they watched porn. 13 to 17-year-olds, 75%. 54% of 13 to 17-year-olds said they had seen pornography for the first time before they turned 13. And listen to this. 50%, 50% of 13 to 17-year-olds report having seen uh, pornography that included rape, choking, or some other affliction of pain. 13 to 17-year-olds where young minds are still shaping and forming. Moms, dads, grandparents, we need to be paying attention to what our children are watching. And of course, when we talk about pornography, we know that this isn't happening in public, right? It's not happening at Starbucks. It's not happening in the living room. It's happening behind closed doors, which just seems to portray that we feel both an obsession and a shame because we do it in hiding. And let me just, before I leave this topic, let me just say, I'd like for us to imagine for a moment the impact that pornography is having on relationships, dating and marriage, the impact that it's having on the development of children and adolescents, the contribution it makes to the number of women who are assaulted, victimized, raped because it's been shown as normal on television or on our computer screens, And even the impact, if we have enough compassion and care, to the porn actors themselves. There's a very high level of addiction, shame, depression, and even suicide for those who get caught up in that industry. It's just another example of we are obsessed with all things sexual and yet still feel confusion and uncertainty And sometimes people are even abused by it. It seems like we live out this quote by St. Augustine, grant me chastity, but not yet. Right? We're just not sure what's okay, what's not okay. I think the root problem is that we have a confusion between the pleasure of sexuality and the purpose of our sexuality. Sex is undeniably enjoyable. Does that mean that it's all that it is, just something to have fun with? We know sex can lead to pregnancy. Is that all sex is for? Procreation. Sex is undeniably a physical act, like playing tennis maybe. Is that all it is, just something physical between two consenting people? Or we know sex can do harm. We know many people's lives have been altered terribly by abusive Um, advances by someone in power? Does that make sex evil and to be avoided? 
I want to hear you to hear this as clearly as, as I can possibly say it. Theologically speaking, sex and sexuality is good. Say that with me. Sex and sexuality is good. I can see in your faces you're uncomfortable even saying it. Sex is a good gift from God meant for our enjoyment and pleasure and as something to be cherished and safely guarded. Dare I say sex is sacred. Sacred, meaning it's of God and deserves to be treated as such. But with that, I want to just kind of acknowledge by saying from a pulpit, sex is good. I need to also confess that the church has not always been clear about that. In fact, the church has often spoke out of both sides of our mouth. Whether we're talking about the Catholic Church's obsession with celibacy or puritanical obsession and fear of sin, the church has had contradicting messages. If I'm going to boil it down, I think this is kind of all churches all time have basically said, don't do it till you're married, and then don't talk about it, and enjoy it, but don't enjoy it too much. Right? That seems to be kind of the attitude around it. None of which is biblical or theological. Biblically, theologically, sex and sexuality are understood to be good blessings from God. A blessing to be enjoyed. Nothing, nothing to be shamed about. And yet, a gift that's meant to bless, thus deserving the most respect we can give it. The reverence it deserves. But I said this last week, right? We talked about greed and money a couple weeks ago. Last week we talked about food, right? All of the blessings God gives us, give us can be twisted into something less than God intended. Every gift, right? We talked about it with money. Money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? We need food to survive. We don't need it for everyday comfort for every single thing that turns, you know, into uh, gluttony. Same thing with sex. A good gift, but can be used in harmful ways. Uh, Rebecca DeYoung writes, God designed human beings with sexual bodies capable of attraction and arousal. Our sexuality, including our bodies, hormones, and the tactile desires and pleasures that go with them, count as a good gift from God. That's the theology. But Frederick Beekner adds a bit of a warning. He would agree with everything she just said, but he says this, sex is sinful to the degree that instead of drawing you closer to other human beings and their humanness, it unites bodies but leaves the lives inside them hungrier and more alone than before. When sex moves from being a blessing, when sex is taken out of the context that God intends for it, and becomes something that's sinful or destructive, we call that the deadly sin of, anyone know? Lust, right? Now let's be clear. Lust begins with attraction. And that's something God intended. That we are attracted to other people is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with that. That, that is normal and natural. Lust, though, doesn't let it stop with attraction. It continues to ponder and to think and to imagine and maybe even move someone to act on consummating what they desire. Lust does not require a relationship or a commitment. Lust doesn't require knowing another person or being known by them. Lust doesn't require uh, meeting another person's needs. It's just focused on meeting my own needs. Uh, 
Lust just needs a body. Sometimes it's a picture of a body in a magazine. Sometimes it's a moving body on a computer screen. Sometimes it's an actual body. Sometimes it's just something we see in our imagination. Lust reduces another human being to a shape, a form, an object to be used. It ignores the person's humanity. It ignores that every person has hopes and dreams. It ignores that every body has a unique personality. It ignores their intelligence, their potential. It ignores that they bear the image and likeness of God and substitutes that selfishness. A self-serving desire to gratify my desires regardless, regardless of how that affects anyone else. And so the Bible, I mean, the Bible talks about sex. We know that. And oftentimes we think, oh, the Bible's so uptight, it's so conservative around this, right? The point of the Bible's rules about sex are to set parameters around it so that its dignity, its reverence, its goodness can be protected from lust. The Bible teaches that sex is meant exclusively for marriage. We say in the wedding vows, forsaking all others. That's what it means, that we're not going to have sex with other people. The Ten Commandments prohibits against uh, um, um, adultery. There are warnings about prostitution. But Jesus takes the whole topic of lust and really raises the bar. So back to the passage I read a few minutes ago. In Matthew five twenty-eight, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. He's talking about, you've heard it said, don't do that action, right? Don't betray your spouse, right, by having sex with someone that isn't your spouse. But Jesus then elevates it. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, forgive me for just a moment. Um, I think Jesus would probably be okay if we took out the masculine language there and just talked about humans, right? So he talks about men, right, fantasizing about women. Let's just say humans, right, imagining what they might do with another human in their heart. You hear what Jesus did, though? He said, if you're thinking about it, it's the same as doing it. Now, he takes it even to another level. He says, you know, if it's your eye that's leading you into lustful thinking, well, just poke it out. Just solve the problem. Poke it out. Or if, you're, if your hand is causing you a problem, just chop it off, right? Now, would all of us probably agree that Jesus is just using a little bit of a hyperbole here, right? Um, even the most uh, biblical, inheritist, fundamentalist, literalist person that I know isn't one-eyed and one-handed, or no-eyed and no-handed, however that works, right? But all of us kind of understand Jesus isn't meaning literally go poke out our eyes and cut off our hands. And I would even go so far as to say I might disagree with Jesus that acting on something is the same as just thinking about it. For instance, if any of you are considering murdering me, I'd rather you just think about it than do it. We all agree, I think. I think Jesus' point is this, that whether it's just something I'm imagining in my mind or acting on physically, the, the root is the same. They start in the same attitude, lust. It's self-centered. It's a self-focused desire devoid of any respect, honor, or commitment to another. It reduces the person I desire into an object for me to use for my personal pleasure. 
and ignores the potential negative impact on them, the potential impact on my relationships, and maybe even the potential impact on me. And even lust that just begins in the imagination tends to intensify. In fact, that's one of the problems with pornography. It tends to intensify the desire, which can lead to acting on it. Let me be clear. Attraction happens. That's a good thing. God intends it. Temptations come. That's just reality, right? For all of us. Even Jesus, tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. But the question is, once the attraction happens and once the temptation becomes real for us, what do we do with that? Do we feel like we're just helpless victims? What can I do? You know, it's in my head. What can I do? Or do we understand that God, through His Spirit, if we ask, gives us the gift of self-control? That God will help us overcome what feels to us like something we just can't help sometimes. Now, think about this for a moment. All of us probably possess things that are precious to us. Maybe because it has a high value. Maybe because somebody gave it to us. Our kid made it for us. We inherited it. All of us have something that we value. What do you do with the things that are precious to you? The things that are valuable to you? Maybe you put it under glass to protect it. Maybe you put it on a higher shelf where the dog can't knock it off, right? Maybe you park it in the garage. Maybe you built a fence around it. Maybe you deposit it at the bank. You do the extra steps you need to to protect the things that are precious. When we come to the topic of sex and sexuality and lust, what the Bible suggests is the way that we protect the precious gift of our sexuality is the virtue of chastity. Chastity. Now, chastity is one of those old-fashioned church words that all of us turn our nose up at. I get that, right? It sounds a bit prudish. It sounds a bit uh, rule-driven. It certainly doesn't seem to fit into our modern context. But we're going to talk about chastity for a few minutes. James Martin, who's a Catholic priest, taking a vow of celibacy, also a Jesuit monk who took a vow of celibacy, says, chastity refers to the proper and loving use of our sexuality. Notice he doesn't say chastity is the denial of our sexuality or the shame of our sexuality. He says it's the proper and loving use of our sexuality, something that everyone is called to, not just priests and monks. Now hear this very clearly. Chastity does not deny the goodness of sex. Chastity does not avoid our sexuality. Chastity is not meant to be cold or prudish. It doesn't banish our natural attraction to other people. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't deny our desire to be united to another. The Bible talks about becoming one flesh with another person. And it certainly doesn't treat sex as something to be hidden. Chastity honors the goodness of the gift of God. Chastity trusts in the wisdom of God and God's desire for for us to have the very best lives. Remember Jesus said, I've come that your life can be abundant. We trust in that. Chastity elevates the beauty and meaning of our sexuality. It protects the sanctity of our sexuality. It honors the humanity of both people involved in sex. It's rooted in a love of God and neighbor and even self. It values honoring and cherishing the other. It's offering yourself fully, wholly, completely, unreservedly to someone else and trusting they're doing the same for you. 
But hear this. Chastity does include biblical prohibitions. Honoring that God may have a better perspective on this than us. It is considering what we look at. It is considering saying that there's certain things I'm not going to look at. It's saying that I believe God can help me with the things I might be tempted to fantasize about. Chastity does include boundaries about what I do and with whom. And asking God for help when I feel the need for self-control. So our vice today is lust. Our virtue today is chastity. Now here's it gets a little tricky. Uh, each week we're offering a vow, right? A, an action step, a commitment to help to begin to conquer the deadly sin and to grow in the virtue. As I was trying to figure out what the vow would be this week, it was hard because the easy one would be just don't, which is what the church does, right? Here's your vow. Don't do anything bad, right? Don't think anything bad. Don't look at anybody and have a bad thought. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. That doesn't work. So here's what I came up with. Uh, when I was at FSU, um, I, had, I had to travel around the state a lot to visit other campus ministries, our, our main offices in Lakeland. And so I was up and down I-95 all the time. And if you've traveled up, down, up and down I-95 or used to, I haven't, I haven't in a while, there used to be a certain number of billboards um, advertising a business establishment in Micanopy that's called Cafe Risque. I guess they serve coffee. I don't know what, the, what happens there. Uh, cafe, right? Cafe Risque. And they have billboards. You said billboards up and down the highway. So we bear all, right? And in the old days, they don't anymore. But in the old days, old days, 10 years ago, there are these pictures of these young women, I guess implying that if you come to Cafe Risque, you could meet them yourself, right? I don't know if that's true or not. And I've seen these billboards I don't, countless times, driven by countless times. They just became part of the scenery. But for some reason, one day, as I was looking at the sign and the pictures of the, the young women, it occurred to me that my daughter's their age was at that point. And then it occurred to me, all three of those Young women are somebody's daughter, maybe somebody's sister, maybe somebody's friend, maybe somebody's mother. It's not unusual in those situations, right? These are young women who are made in the image and likeness of God. These are unique women with personal stories that matter. They're unique women who God loves deeply. They're not just objects, right, to be ogled at. They're not just be objects to be entertained by. They are people who have inherent dignity, regardless of what they do, right? There was in a moment there where I shifted from they're just pretty girls that apparently some people pay to go see to humans, right, humans. And so here's the vow this week is how do we honor and acknowledge the humanity of each other, right? Lust objectifies. What can we do to humanize? So here's the vow this week. I want you to find some person in your life. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. It's a neighbor. And just do something kind for them. Kindness humanizes. Lust objectifies. Let's do something kind for somebody this week to recognize their sacred worth. Simple thing. All of us can do it. Talk about paying it forward. Do it this week. Let's pray.
So God, I pray that whoever needed to hear this message today heard it. I pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, cleanse our hearts and minds. Make them pure. Help us to see people the way you see them with your eyes. Help us to see each person, whether we're talking about issues of sexuality or poverty or ethnic difference or racial difference, whatever it might be, that we look at people not as objects, but as humans made in your image and likeness, worthy of respect. Lord, bless and sanctify our sexuality. Help us to use it in ways that are a blessing and receive the blessing you intend them to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.